11.38. Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. We are going to continue our dialogue on the grace-based families. We've done three messages now. First one, three weeks ago, we addressed being single and sound. Then we came right back on top of that and ministered on how to find the right mate. On the last Sunday, we had a very, very interesting dialogue on same-sex marriage. What does the Bible say? So this morning, I want to speak on how the family began. And I'm going to read from Malachi chapter 2. I'm going to begin from verse 10, and I'm reading from Pastor Shina's translation. Amen. I will see if LJ, oh man, you got it, LJ. All right, guys, you're on it. <laughs> don't we, verse 10, don't we all come from one father? Aren't we all created by the same God? So why can't we get along? Why do we desecrate the covenant of our ancestors that binds us together? Judah has cheated on God. A sickening violation of trust in Israel and Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the holiness of God by falling in love and running off with foreign women. Women who worship alien gods. God's curse on those who do this. Drive them out of the house and home. They are no longer fit to be part of the community, no matter how many offerings they bring to God of the angel armies. And here is the second offense. You fill the place of worship with your whining and sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. Do you know why? Simple. Because God was there as a witness when you spoke your married vows to your young bride. And now you've broken those vows, broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want for marriage? Children of God. And that's what? So, God, the spirit of marriage within you, do not cheat on your spouse. So, that just prepares, that just prepares the text or the launching pad from which we're going to speak this morning on how the family began. Three key things or three key, uh, yeah, three key, key words I want us to take from this passage. The first one we see in verse 12, I believe it is, or verse 11, where it talks about how Judah has desecrated the holiness of God. In other words, 
the institution of marriage is holy. That is why in contemporary times, we call it holy matrimony. That's number one I want to also take away from this passage. Marriage is a holy thing. Number two thing that this passage tells us in verse, actually the message Bible does not break down every verse uh, like the rest of the Bibles do, but I believe it's in verse 15. It says, God, not you, made marriage. Did you all hear that? Please, I really want you to pay attention on this very uh, beginning of this message. God, not you, made marriage. That is absolutely important. The reason marriage is holy is because God made it. And God is holy. So God made marriage not the U.S. Supreme Court. We must never, once we miss that and we forget that, when a very slippery slope. God made marriage, not you, Brother Derek. You look good, you're a great man, very highly skilled, but you didn't make marriage. John Roberts of the Supreme Court did not make marriage. It does not matter what the U.S. Supreme Court say. Their ruling does not change the truth as we know it. God, not man, made marriage. And then the third thing I want us to see in this passage, the Bible says he made them to become one. Why? And then it answers the question itself. It says so that they can bring forth godly offspring. Number one, it's holy. Number two, it's made by God and not by man. And then number three, we are told the purpose for which God made them to become one. So that they can bring forth godly offspring. We know from the annals of scripture that God in making marriage did not marry Adam and Adam. And he definitely did not marry Eve and Eve. Because if he had done that, he would be defeating his own purpose of procreation, whereby godly offspring should come forth. Let me throw this out there. It does not matter what the Supreme Court rules come June. They can call it marriage. They can call it civil union. Whatever terminology they come up with, I want to let you know right now, God will never sanction it. Nothing that man does will change the mind of God for God to redefine his own purpose from the beginning. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? And let me tell you how slippery of a slope we're engaging in. I want you to say, I want you to know that you hear it from this pulpit. 
If this trend is not arrested and reversed, the same men and women that are passionate now and want same-sex marriage or whatever they want, will be back here a few years from now and enter another debate. Polygamy. If it's a matter of civil rights and I, as an American, should enjoy the liberty to choose and do what I please. If one man, or let, let, me, let me put it on there, on there, let me put the button on them. If two men, find another two men that are concerted, so we escalate from same-sex marriage to same-sex polygamy. Will they accept that? Are they going to be open to that debate? I want to thank God for our young people. I thank God for their incredible courage. And their progressiveness in their thinking. Because like I said last Sunday, we have seen some good things that have come out of that. Barack Hussein Obama will be forever grateful to the millennial generation. Because in 2008, when he came on the political arena, to declare his candidacy for president. My generation and up, they looked at him and said, you, born in Kenya, strange name, Barack. Where's Barack in the dictionary? We wrote him off. But the younger generation, they do not judge people by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character and their brilliance. So these millennials look at this man and say, you know what? We don't care whether you are black, brown, or white. We like what we're hearing from you. You are saying to us something that we like to embrace. We will be a part of what you're doing. And they voted in mass. And the rest is history. They did it. We must give them credit for that. You are going to see going forward and uh, a, a multiplication of bicultural, biracial marriages because these young people don't see color. Fast forward to this past weekend, past week. Many of you are aware of the ongoing debate about the uh, reform that needs to take place in the law enforcement. Who are those in the vanguard? Of this movement. As we look at what happened in Baltimore. You see the marching. And the rallies. And the protests. And the demonstrations. And you look at on the television. You see Caucasian people. Wearing t-shirts that says Black Lives Matter. The younger generation. They are seen beyond. Color. They are seen beyond gender. They are seen beyond all of the 
uh, uh, boxes and the, uh, and, the, and the barriers, thank you, that normally limit us. And so I want to thank them that they'll continue to be progressive in their thinking and that they will be determined as a generation that they will leave the world a better place than they met it. I also want to add to that though that as they continue being progressive and making choices that's making it better for us to live in this great land that they must also understand that the subject or the what we are trying to deal with is not just merely doing good but being godly. There's a huge gulf between acknowledging good and being godly. You see, because these younger people don't see things the way you and I see them. There's a generational gap. And so God must help us to bridge that. Not forcefully, not hatefully, but by presenting the gospel to them in a way, in a loving manner that will allow them to be able to receive it. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm saying all of this to really say, if things are to change, it's not just going to be because of you and I. It's going to be because they understand what we are saying and are on board. Because they are the ones, for the most part, engaging, interacting, and talking to these people, these proponents of these things that we think are so strange. So they need to know, why are we taking this position? What is the message? And from thinking and praying and talking to most of them, something has become very, very clear to me. And that is, many of us do not believe with any strong conviction that the Bible is the word of God. Wow. Many of us think, well, there's a word of God, and then I can have my own sentiment. That yes, there's, there's a word of God, but yes, I can have my own opinion, and where my opinion or my sentiment has more appeal to me, mm, God will catch up with me. Nothing can be further from the truth and it is a very dangerous place to be in. Let, let me put, put it just starkly. If we don't reach this generation, the church is one generation from extinction. Because who's going to lead the church five years from now? Ten years from now? Men and women who think there's another word other than the word of God? Are you kidding me? No. There will be no church. And just so you understand that this is it's within the realm of possibility. What happened to the Greek civilization? What happened? Corinth, where Paul went and established churches. What happened to them? Why are we having to go back to Corinth to the Greeks to re-evangelize them? Because the church that was has disappeared. 
How? How did it disappear? They self-imploded. The Greek civilization imploded not from without, but from within. What happened to the Roman Empire? What happened to it? Same fate. They were blessed. They were affluent. They were prosperous. They had so much liberty that they enjoyed and they pushed the envelope on the liberty to the extreme and before you know what happened, they imploded. I remember not so long ago, if you did not get a degree from the United Kingdom, not only that, let, let me even say it in a better way. Certificates of American universities, we laughed at them in Africa. Americans, these guys, they don't know what they're saying. True story. We laughed at American degrees and said, Americans, they don't know anything. If you really want to get a degree that stands and solid, go to the United Kingdom. Great Britain. How great are they today? How great? I'm saying to us, the fate that the Greek Empire suffered, the fate that the Roman Empire suffered, the faith that the British Empire suffered. If we don't get on our face before God and ask God's mercy upon us and the courage of the Holy Spirit to take a stand first for us to receive the word of God and then to live at the word of God and to be sure that we transfer the word that we are receiving to our children, you better have a second passport. <laughs> so the beginning point of this message the reason I emphasize those three things number one marriage is holy number two God made it Amen. once you don't agree that God made it you're in trouble you're in trouble and because God made it he says he made it so that we can produce godly offspring I can Adam and Adam produce an offspring. I can Sally and Sally produce an offspring. Are we going to redefine for God what God intended? Absolutely not. We can attempt to redefine it, but God will not accept it. So, as I launch into this message, and as you can see, time is fast spent now. Let me help us to understand how the Bible came to us and to become accepted as the infallible, unadulterated Word of God. You know, years ago, when I used to see Joel Stein before he preached, he said, Everybody, take up your Bible. Make a confession. This is my Bible. This is the word of I used to laugh at him. I used to laugh at the dress. What's wrong with this guy? No, I get it. There are many people sitting in the church that think there is another word. 
We may not be saying it like that, but in our actions and the way we behave, that is what we're saying. Where God has made himself so clear, why are we debating it? Now, when I say why are we, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. How can we debate what God has said so clearly? God, not mine, made marriage. If that's the case, why will I be asking the U.S. Supreme Court to define it? Now, I also said very clearly, we may not agree with those that want to do what we are talking about, about same sex, but we should never hate them. We should never ostracize them. That is just as devilish as what they are trying to do. If anything, our commitment, our obligation is to love them unconditionally. Because it is only the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, not the ostracization of God. We have to love them. We have to pray and ask God to give us a love for them. Now, and I need to move forward. Sister Bissala said something on Sunday, and that is most of these people who advocate or who are, uh, shall I call it, shall I say, uh, homosexuals, many of us that's had interaction with them find them to be faithful, loyal, hardworking, caring. I want to throw that in so you understand why your children and the younger people love them and why they say we are open to them. Because they are looking at what they see. They are looking at the food that they are bringing forth and they say, you know what? This person demonstrates more faithfulness in character than the so-called church folk. You can't discount that. Everyone I've spoken to talk about these people's ethic, ethic on their jobs. They are hard worker. They don't goof up. They don't love. They don't gossip. They don't steal. They are committed. They are loyal. They are faithful. And then they come home and see that what they say out there is not what they are saying. So our message is not resonating with them because our message lacks the bite. It lacks the fruit that goes along with it. Okay, very quickly. This may be all I may be able to do today. There are three things that we need to be concerned about when it comes to how the word of God come to us. Number one, the word of God comes through revelation. I'm not talking about Revelation Walker. Where is she? Where is Revelation Walker? Oh, baby shower started? She's working on details. So we have more people at the baby shower than we have in church. <laughs> God will help us. <laughs> Revelation. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. What does it say? The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. And that those things that are what? Revealed 
belong unto us and to our children. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. So the first thing about the word of God is revelation of God comes to us. Now, let me break that down. When you go to Genesis, chapter 1, man was not made until the sixth day in chapter 2. However, man wrote the book of Genesis. So how did man know what happened before he was created? Do you see what I'm saying? There was no man there when God created the heavens and the earth. Day one, day two, day three, day four, nobody was there. But after God, or rather after Moses encountered God, God by revelation now told him what happened when he was not there. That is an example of what revelation does. Things you and I had no awareness of, we were not there, we were not present. God, through his revelation, gives it to you. Amen. That's number one. Secondly, in 2 Peter chapter 1, let's go there. I think it's important to read this. 2 Peter chapter 1. In verses 20 and 21, it says, Knowing these first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Did you all hear that? We are getting so many private interpretations these days. This is what's creating the problem within the body of Christ. We are not getting clarity. We are not getting trumpets that's blowing clear sound. People are taking scriptures and twisting it based on their own private desire and interpretation. So number one, we have revelation. Number two, we're going to see here, we have what we call inspiration. Verse 21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So first of all, God reveals himself. He reveals his word. But Moses, for instance, had to receive inspiration to write it. There's a difference between what is revealed and what is committed to writing. Oh, I cannot tell you many, how many times you may sit in a service like this and you get a revelation. Wow! God is saying this. Now, if you don't have the inspiration to commit it to writing, three days later, you know something happened, but you cannot recall it. It's gone! That's why Timothy tells us in chapter 3, verse 16, that every scripture, every, say every, it is given by what? The inspiration of God. Including the one that says a man should not lie with a man. It is what? An abomination. So if God inspired that, what sentiment am I going to now apply to just say, well, you know, 
that was in the olden days. Uh, that happened during the pagan idolatry times. Uh, hello? Every scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly furnished unto good works. Amen? Amen? So we get a revelation, God speaks to us. We get inspiration so we can write it down and commit it. And that's how the Bible came. To show you how important this is. When God reveals something, we know that God gave the inspiration because otherwise these men will not talk about, they will not tell on, on themselves. David would not have committed to writing his own sin. He would have talked about the great things he did in Judah. But because the inspiration of God gripped his heart, he had to write down what God was saying, even though the things he was writing down were things where he blew it. Revelation, inspiration, but the third one is absolutely critical. And all of these things build on one another and they work together. They work together. And this is what we need to pray first for us and for our children. God gives revelation. He gives inspiration. But thirdly and very importantly, he gives illumination. Illumination or enlightenment is what brings understanding. It's written. You've read it. But if you don't have illumination, you will lack understanding. So all the things that our young people are saying to us, it's not because they're wicked. It's not because they don't want to accept the truth. They just lack illumination. They need to see things from God's light. From God's perspective, they need to understand that the Bible was written, it was inspired, and now, through the work of the Holy Spirit, it can be illuminated. Let's just read one scripture on that, and then we're going to move, move right on. Uh, John, no, yeah, John chapter 14, John chapter 14. So please, I want to encourage us as adults, as parents, don't get into debate with your children. Teach them the truth. Share with them what the word of God says and you pray for God to give them illumination. Don't beat them up. Don't fight with them. That's that's never going to accomplish anything. If anything, you draw them further away from God and from you. John 14, 26. But the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. What will he do? He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Absolutely. So we receive revelation from God. We receive the inspiration of God. But importantly, we need to get illumination. Even as I'm speaking right now, God needs to 
gives you illumination so that you can comprehend and understand what you're hearing. It doesn't matter how hard I yell. If you don't get illumination, you still will not understand. Why do people go to hell? Why do they not receive Jesus Christ? They lack illumination. They lack illumination. The Bible says that the God of this world has blinded them so that they will not see the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And then, of course, secondly, and very, very important, uh, let's go to the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 14. First Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually designed. Another reason other than having been blinded by Satan not to see the light another reason why people do not receive or believe the word of God is because a natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. And this leads me to this point. And I hate to say this, but I must say this. Are we really born again? Because if we are born again, by the Spirit of God, there are certain things we don't even debate any longer. And for our younger ones, let, let me say this. And please hear the way I'm saying what I'm saying. And that is, there are times when being good is bad. Let me define that. I mean, I know I said, there are times when being good is bad. Let me see what I mean by that. Especially for our young ones. In my case, I was a 100% validated, certified sinner when I came to the kingdom of God. I don't have to debate whether I was good or I was bad. I know that in me was no good thing. Every day as a sinner, when I was, when my career was sinning, I know you guys are not, you, you are not like that, so let me use myself. When my career was a sinful career, I sit down 24-7 thinking how I would sin and enjoy the pleasures of sin. So when a certified, validated sinner like me comes to the kingdom of God, I can see the stark difference between my career of sinning and my lifestyle in righteousness. The difference is clear. I know it. I know it. I know it. I appreciate it and I thank God for it. But for our children, for this millennials, they were born in your household when you were already born again. They never had a chance to drink Guinness Stout. They never had a chance 
to drink MD 2020. They never had a chance to smoke weed and get high on it. They never had a chance to do the things that we consider bad, bad, bad. And yet we say to them, you need to be born again. So being good for them in that context is bad because they don't understand why must I be born again? From what to what? I've been living good in your household all these years. I didn't get anybody pregnant. I'm not pregnated out of wedlock. I didn't drink beer. I didn't smoke dope. I'm not, I didn't rape anybody. I didn't shoot my teacher. I didn't do anything bad. What must I be born again for? Do you see their dilemma? Because they have equated being good with being godly. And so for them, it is murky. We bring them to church, we take them out of church. Take them to church, in and out, and in and out, and in and out. But they still don't know what the gospel is. Who has presented it to them? Who has told them what they, may, what they must be born again from and to? And why? Because religion and traditional Christian message says, if you are good, if you are bad, you need God. It does not say good or bad. You need God. They come to church and hear the law preached. Ah, you must not steal. If you steal, you're a bad boy. Well, they're not stealing. They're like the young ruler. The Ten Commandments I've lived for my youth. How can I inherit eternal life? I've done good all my life. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying to you? I will not ask the question, but let me ask. How many of us parents went home last week and engaged our children? After the robust dialogue that we had here last week, did you go home and check the temperature, the pulse, sit your young people down and say, where are you? Do you understand what we're talking about? What's your position? We just assume... And Malachi says, the reason God brought man and woman together is to produce what? Not an offspring. No. Godly seed. It is not automatic. The greatest tragedy will be for you and I to be in the house of God, born again as parents, and raise our children and they are going straight to hell. Ah, okay. You guys are looking at me very funny today. It's the truth. Because we have majored on the minor things and we're minoring on the majors. Huge. Huge. The reason these children have not embraced the message of their fathers. Ah. Let me read another scripture. Then I will say it. Isaiah chapter 49. No, 59. Isaiah 59. We'll be going in a minute. I'm going to let you go in a minute because I know it's getting uncomfortable. (laughs) 
<laughs> Praise God. Thank you very much for that encouragement. <laughs> Isaiah 59, verse 21. Isaiah 59, verse 21. New King James. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor the mouth of your descendants. Oh, nor the mouth of your descendants. Descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. So we see God, God is not just a, God is a multi-generational God. And he's saying, whatever word is coming to me, should not depart out of the mouth of my children. And then out of the mouth of their children's children. So the critical issue is, and I'm going to say this and then we're going to close now, we as parents, and I've really not even gotten into the message today, this is just an introduction, but I'll leave it and come back next week. We as parents owe to God and our children not to become God for them. What are you saying, Pastor? Very good. So my child comes home from school. He wants to join the soccer club. I need to ask him, is this what God wants for you? Why am I asking that question? I want to drive him to understand that you do things based on what God says. What does that mean, Pastor? I'm going to tell the boy, go and pray. Go and pray. And come back and tell me what God says to you. What has that done? All of a sudden, the boy knows, we just don't make decisions in this house. All of a sudden, the young person now knows, Ellie, wait a minute, even as a young boy, Samuel heard the voice of God. Don't tell me you can't hear God. Why are we going to say we cannot hear God and Samuel heard him? Give an example. Years ago, Faith came home and said he wanted to go and spend one year in Nigeria. Really? You want to go to Nigeria and live for one year? Who's going to go with you? Your mother or your father? He says, you, you go by, you will go to Nigeria by yourself and live there for one year? Ah, what a wonderful idea. I said to him, go find me chapter and verse. It's true. Go and pray and bring me as your parent chapter and verse where you got that idea from. Whatever devil is speaking to you, let him give you a chapter and verse. It's a true story. If a few days later, maybe a week, I don't, I can't remember. He came back to me and brought me chapter and verse and gave me the narrative. And then I knew God was speaking to him. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? We are making decisions for our children that God only can make. And therefore, you do not allow them to know God. And so when their friends are saying same-sex marriage, it sounds good. Because they don't know God. God has never answered their prayer. They have never seen God moved in their own lives. Therefore, when their friend says, I'm a man, I want a man, I'm a man. Ah, John, you're a really good guy. You do good work. You look good. You are brilliant. If that's what you want, I'm, this is the land, of the, the land of the living and the brave. Why not? Go ahead and do it. But if God has ever spoken to them, they will say to John, John, I like you. You're a great man. You have great potential. But if you really want to marry, marry a woman. And I'm saying that because I love you, John. 
Why? I know God. God has spoken to me. Let me give you an example. We rob our children of the experience. Christmas time, like a fool, we drag them to the mall. What do you want? Nike, uh, shoot shoe from the market, Jordan. $179 to write the check. Has the guy ever earned $179 in his life? You are going to buy for them a $179 shoe? Because you want to keep the peace and the joy in the house. What joy? Sorrow you are sowing to. Because you have not taught them how to know God. And if you put God in them, I guarantee you, God will come out of them. Make them pray. Show them how to pray. Show them how to find their own needs. You want to go to college? Good. What do you want to study? Rocket scientist. Wonderful. How do you arrive at that? When, it, when did you pray about it? Did God speak to you? You see, you guys are looking at me very, very funny. But this is the practical where the rubber meets the road. If we are going to raise the next generation, we are not going to raise them by your senses or your sentiment. You put God in them. And the only way you put God in them, the Bible says, train up a child in the way that they should go. When they grow up, it will not depart. How do you train? You instruct and you practice. You instruct. Have we ever seen a coach who sits in the classroom? We're going to coach soccer. Oh, unless you are a Nigerian football player. You, you sit in the classroom and, and come up with theories. Our formula for the game is 5-3-3. And you talk, talk, talk. Three hours, nine hours. We are talking, 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 talking. You never see a soccer boot or a soccer, play, soccer ball. They don't have them. They've embezzled the money. They have no soccer balls. So we reduce soccer to theory. The coach is too big, too fat, too obese. He can't get on the field to pray. True story. True story. But you give instruction. You strategize in the classroom. Now, what we strategize, let's go to the food and practice it. Let's find out if it works. Daddy, you, are, you serve God? Show me your God. You and your child get in the trenches and find the God you are talking about. If this God don't work for you, daddy, I don't want him. And they have a right to say so. Something that's not working for you, why should your kids embrace it? Why should you sell to your children something that does not work for you? You lack integrity. So what I'm saying to us is, first, you receive the word of God. And that's in next week's teaching. Secondly, you teach the word of God to your kids. But what makes them remember it and stick is you are living it. Daddy, don't tell me about the God you don't serve. You know the word. You teach the word. You live the word. And you challenge your children to do so. Folks, if these kids can learn all these rudimentaries of all these video games, they know it. They can play for nine hours. They are, they are, they are not even sweating. And you tell me you cannot learn a memory verse? Yeah. You buy that lie? A child that can play, 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 play. The thing they are playing with you yourself at 45, you don't understand it. <laughs> but you say, learn one verse a week. Ah, daddy. No, give me Nintendo. And you go back and buy the latest model. 
And then you wonder why they don't accept your God. We need to change. We need to repent. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. When I say repent, I'm not saying you need to go and confess some sin and pour oil on your head. That's not what I mean. Repent means change your mind. Accept, understand, thank you very much. Ah, ah. Bucci. You get two dollars. <laughs> change your way of thinking. Understand that this way that we've been in is not working. It will lead to doom. Repent, change, turn around. Believe what God has said about you. Embrace it and start living it. Amen? Amen. Did we get enough? Yes. And so, Father, as a body this afternoon, we repent. We change our mind. We renew our mind. We are saying to you, God, we will no longer determine our own ways and build our own systems and make our own God. Lord, help us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we repent, we change, we turn around. We turn around. Not only will you turn around, according to Acts 26, verse 20, we turn around to turn to you. We turn to you, Lord. And we receive the wisdom to raise up to you godly offspring. Thank you, Lord, that the ancient landmarks that you've helped us to build will not be removed because of ungodliness. And so, Lord, we praise you, we honor you. In Jesus' name. Well, come on. Let let me just finish that that faith testimony. Ultimately, he went to Nigeria for a year. And my wife and I were here. Spent a whole year by himself in Nigeria. I can't remember what age. Grade 11, grade 10, something like that. Do you know what that was? Haven't been in that place that I'm not looking to go back to anytime soon? And my son was there for a whole year. There were times we called him. This is the truth. I'm a pastor struck. Oh, many times. Things happened. But you know, in all of that, my wife and I could rest because at least we knew that it was not something he just came up with. It was something an experience God wanted him to have. And therefore, we could cast our cares upon the Lord. So that's what I'm saying to you. If you don't know those things and you just step out to do certain things, whatever happens is on you. God is not into dead works. It's not. He blesses us in it and through it sometimes, but I want you to know it's not his best option. It's not his best option. Let's put God in these children so that we can have a wonderful sunset in our lives. No, we've done our part so that we can testify like David. He serves his generation according to the will of God. May God help us in Jesus' name. Bless you.